we also have this somewhat guiding phrase that came from a customer of ours who said, we need you to be state of the art, not bleeding edge. Uh, another customer said that there's a lot of bleeding on the bleeding edge. <laughs> and many web teams don't want to be covered in band-aids. Some teams are willing to accept some number of band-aids in order to get the best possible user experience. A lot of teams are not willing to accept many or any band-aids. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. What's up, y'all? It's B-Dougie here, and I'm really excited about Jamstack.conf returning in person this November. I'll be there at this event, which is going to be the biggest party of the year. So join me by getting your ticket at jamstack.com and get an exclusive 20% off with the code radio. That's 20% off of your jamstack.com ticket with the promo code radio. That's awesome. See you there. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Josh and Steve from Pantheon. Hey, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for having us. Cool. And uh, you want to give yourself a quick intro and then Steve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm a co-founder of Pantheon, a platform for extraordinary websites. Pantheon got started uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, and my background before that was as a you know professional web developer, built up a small boutique agency in, in San Francisco. Um, and we were working in the open source ecosystem around Drupal, working on gradually bigger and bigger, more complex projects. And, uh, and we were really like learning how to apply DevOps to those projects so that we could do things like work with large development teams, leverage version control, continuous integration, continuous deployment, and then you know, deployment in a way that's ready to scale. And you know, kind of like the fifth or sixth time through that, we'd done very different websites for very different clients, but the DevOps part was just getting more and more honed. And we kind of realized that we could turn that into a product. Oh, nice. Uh, we, had, we had bumped into um, a guy named uh, James uh, Lindenbaum in, in San Francisco, and he uh, took us out to dinner a couple times and then basically said, you guys are really nice, and I like going to Delfina, but I'm never going out to dinner with you again if you don't start this company. And so my co-founders and I decided to make the leap, and we, we launched Pantheon to productize that experience in, uh, starting in, in 2010. It took us a couple years to get on the market, uh, but it's been onward and upward from there. Excellent. Steve, what do you do at Pantheon? Yeah, Steve Persh here, Director of, of Technical Marketing. This week, I'm passing my seven-year anniversary with the company. It, it's flown by. But yeah, mentally time-traveling back to, to 2010, I was, I was at that DrupalCon in, in San Francisco where uh, an early version of, of Pantheon kind of soft launch. And it, it really appealed to me because I saw the need for that. Uh, around that time, I tried out Jenkins and I... I think that DrupalCon was the one where I heard the term DevOps for the first time and I was just kind of baffled by it. I was like, well, yeah, of course we need servers and there's this stuff to do. I eventually realized that's like a whole other job and that I didn't want to do it. So I, I quickly became a, a satisfied Pantheon customer uh, putting a major project on it. I was a, a Drupal site architect at the time and was very happy to have someone else worried about Nginx configuration and MySQL tuning, and I could focus on building the features that my customers were were requesting, and you know, the the billable hours had to be tracked against. So it's it's been a, a whirlwind seven years now at, at Pantheon. 
Amazing. Yeah. So 2010, that's like, that's before I knew how to write code pop properly. So like I, I wasn't actually deploying anything like outside of maybe uh, wordpress.com. I said even knew JavaScript at that point either. But anyway, you don't have to be nostalgic about this, but that's pretty early in like the in my understanding of DevOps. Um, so at that time, and I, I know about Jenkins as well. So Pantheon, can we talk more about like the offering and what Pantheon provides to the folks who who want to do DevOps or want to basically abstract that away from not doing it? Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, it, we were. It's interesting because we we were on the uh, not on the forefront of DevOps. Like it was already you know fairly well established as a as a practice in like general software development. But I think we were early in the wave of applying a lot of that to the web, which is why we kind of call ourselves now a web ops platform because it's kind of more targeted at this use case of people who are working with the web, people who are building websites. There's a couple things that are wonky about that because you're not just thinking about shipping code for your app. You also have to worry about content. That complicates some of the workflows a little bit. You have to think about that and be intentional. And we also think about it as being a little bit more um, inclusive of some of these other personas that come in and are really crucial in the in, in when you're doing the web or websites. So like you're not just thinking about developers and operators. You're also maybe thinking about designers and content creators and the people who are trying to, you know, Get business value from the web, like that. That's in the the whole DevOps culture is like bring this cross functional team together, focus on winning together, uh, and we just try to do that in the context of the web. And and what that means practically is, you know, we get everyone up and running on version control, which you know, we we run a lot of WordPress sites right still now, um, and a lot of those those people are still climbing up that ladder, right? It, it's a big yeah. it's a big jump for them to to get onto version control for all their projects, uh, and then we we help them run a nice continuous deployment, continuous integration workflow. Uh, we help them manage lots of web individual site instances if they need to scale out. You know, like uh, you've got not one website, but a company with 10 or 50 or 100 or 1,000 websites or an agency, right, like Steve used to work at and I used to work at where we have, uh, you know, 50, 50 clients. So we help people with kind of like the operations at scale. And now, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about, we're getting into some, some exciting new stuff that's particularly relevant to the world of Jamstack. Cool. Okay, well, I'll bite. What is what's the new stuff? So the the new stuff uh, we're calling front end sites. So for for Pantheon's whole history, we've we've run the the lamp stack style of of doing websites. Pantheon started with with Drupal, quickly added WordPress. They run on you know a nearly identical stack of technologies, and it's not a coincidence that Pantheon started about a decade after that stack started to emerge and, and solidify as, as a leader in the web development ecosystem. Drupal came out in 2001, WordPress in, uh, in 2003. And it was pretty messy for the 2000s of like the different ways of doing Drupal and WordPress. The 2010s were pretty messy for all the ways that you can do the Jamstack, all the way you can do JavaScript-centric sites. So now, you know, about a decade into that, nine years after the the release or the open sourcing of, of React, we're coming out with front-end sites as the way to do front-end frameworks on Pantheon. So under the hood, it's you know, developers pushing their front-end framework code to GitHub. The Pantheon GitHub app sees that code push, build process runs, and then deploys either to the, the static storage or a Node.js container running behind our, our global CDN that's that's provided us a, a ton of value for, for many years for those CMS sites. 
Yeah, and the, and the idea here is, you know, we're there are already you know great platforms out there for the for front end and kind of you know front end first. You know, Netlify, Vercel have a ton of respect for the products that they've built uh, and that the, the they're continuing to push the envelope on so many fronts. And and you know, we see our role as you know trying to fill and provide an answer to the wider web of what's a really good way to do this when you want to use an open source CMS as your backend. And there's lots of cases where people want to do that because it's, you know, they want open source for freedom um, or, you know, flexibility or controlling their own roadmap on that side. Uh, Or it's the right tool for the job. Like, you know, headless WordPress is a neat thing to spin up quickly and throw in uh, for, for a lot of solutions and, you know, gives your content editors a much better experience than giving them a GitHub repo. And also kind of being able to bring our experience with really like large scale web use cases because we've grown a lot and over the past 10 years we, we've got you know we already run hundreds of thousands of websites we're reaching over a billion unique visitors uh, a month and we're very experienced with handling kind of high-end enterprise requirements high traffic sites mission critical sites and being able to, to speak to that part of the market and say look you want to build the best possible user experience and that means you know you need to use a modern front-end framework then you need to think about where you're going to store your content content because the framework doesn't, you know, the front end doesn't do that anymore because you've decoupled these two things. And a lot of people go down that path and then are deterred or at least made very uncomfortable by the complexity of having to wire too many different platforms together to get what they want. Uh, And our strong hypothesis, and we're finding out as this starts to get into market uh, uh, this fall, is that there's a a real thirst for someone to simplify that a little bit more. Like we we really made our our bones in uh, the past 10 years on being an opinionated platform for the right way to do these, you know, traditional open source CMS powered sites. And uh, we think we can provide a similar value in the the brave new world of you know modern front ends and decoupled architectures. And it's like not that our way is the only way. It's just that our way is a a really like well paved path that's very guaranteed to work and be sustainable over time for people. Because I think that's what a lot of folks are looking for. Yeah, and the sustainability is uh, I think. With your experience in the LAMP stack, like that was a, a tried and true path for getting stuff up and running. And it was like this, the again, you mentioned the opinionated way, uh, but it's like it's a strong opinions to get people shipping Web 2.0 sites. Uh, I'm curious as the the ecosystems evolved because now there's there's a lot of these front end like you now have a front end sites platform. The evolution of, of this stuff, I'm, I'm curious to, from your purview. Obviously, you're invested in in front end sites, but we also have new runtimes, we have web components, we have all these new ecosystems. Is that something on the back of the mind or the roadmap for, for Pantheon? It's something we're absolutely thinking about. One, one way I've thought about it the, the last few years is, is through the question, what computer assembles the websites? I've, that's something I've built into to presentations the last few years. That in the early days of the web, like it's literally the brain of the webmaster is hand combining the templates or the <laughs> the markup uh, and the content. CMS sites, uh, the LAMP stack made the web server or PHP web server be the computer that combines the templates and the content. With uh, iPhones and single page applications, those iPhones became the most powerful computer in the whole stack. Like, let's make the iPhone be the place that uh, assembles the website. 
that had a ton of downsides, performance implications. So like, let's move it back behind a CDN, have a build process do it, or maybe a Node.js runtime, or maybe a serverless runtime. So that answer is always changing. And you know, what we're seeing companies like Cloudflare and uh, Fastly as, as one of our partners are making the edge be an increasingly viable answer to that question, what computer assembles the website? We see where that is going. However, we also have this somewhat guiding phrase that that came from a customer of ours who said, we need you to be state-of-the-art, not bleeding edge. Yeah. And uh, another customer put it like, said, uh, there's a lot of bleeding on the bleeding edge. <laughs> yeah. and, and many web teams don't want to be covered in Band-Aids. Like some teams are willing to accept some number of band-aids in order to get the best possible user experience. A lot of teams are not willing to accept many or any band-aids. And so as we watch more teams become successful with these newer runtimes like Deno or, or, or WebAssembly become viable answers to the question, what computer assembles the website? We need to make sure that there is a successful path before before we encourage our slice of the market to go down that path yeah uh, because our the slice of the market that that we have well one slice that we've been highly adopted in is higher education and they're thinking on very long time scales yeah. uh, some of these universities are centuries old and and for them like getting onto webassembly in 2022 or 2023 or 2024 or 2025 like is not that big of a deal for them. They need to make sure that they are staying within successful guardrails and whichever academic year they make the jump to the next new thing is not that big of a deal for them on, on a decades-long time scale. And I think with uh, WebAssembly and uh, and and like edge computing in general, we're, the, we're everybody's still hunting around for like the killer app because the the types of work that are appropriate to do at that layer with with that runtime are different than like certainly not the traditional um, uh, CMS workloads and even like assembly like uh, build step workloads at that level. You got to think about it really carefully. People are edging around features that uh, are about tweaking the experience kind of at the last mile. Um, you know, we have a did some work on that earlier this year with this idea of edge based personalization, uh, which is which shows some promise, but like it's actually kind of complicated to get right. And there's lots of ins and outs with that stuff. And it, like the ability to do it at the edge is one thing, but do you have a strategy for how you're going to vary what for whom based on what information? And you really have to connect all those dots to make it a really killer feature. Um, but we're definitely keen on on that. And then you also mentioned like. Um, Web components, and and one of the things that we're also actively interested in, um, you know, one of our principal uh, engineers just did a talk on this at a conference around decoupled sites last month. Is where does it, do design systems fit into this equation? And you know, ev again, everybody's got like, yeah, you can kind of sort of see it in your head. The vision of designers get to use Figma, and that seamlessly goes into some other system that then lets you deploy updated UX packages out to your mobile app and your mobile web and your other web thing and your digital signage and like all of that just works. And I, I know some people that have done really big consulting projects at, at like, you know, companies like Nike and elsewhere where they they did 
a ton of work to kind of make that dream come true. And it, and, and it worked and it's there. That dream is real. But again, it's like you need a Nike level investment of energy to get it up and running and then even more to maintain it. So I think we're, we're still in the early days of fitting all those pieces together. Uh, but it's certainly something we're actively, actively interested in. Yeah, for a while I was, I was trying to coin the term zombie style guide. As, as I heard people throwing around the phrase like, we need a living style guide. We have a style guide where we decide on our styles and that, that gets synced with the CMS or the front-end framework. But in practice, many of the teams I saw had zombie style guides where like they figure out the design in a style guide, it gets ported over to the production system, and there's no living system <laughs> actually connecting the two. And what you end up with is a slowly decaying design system. And... Yes, it can often take a Nike size level of effort to to make it work. And that that's the kind of problem space that we want to bring within reach to a a, a broad majority or or a plurality of, of web teams. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And I love the the approach of um like you know your customers and you know the persona. So serving them first as opposed to delivering band-aids for everyone who who wants to jump on the, the bleeding edge. I think it's pretty valuable. I have actually not done any edge computing myself for any projects because I am limited bandwidth. And I also, if I <laughs> prefer having established documentation out there as well. So uh, as soon as everything's well documented, that's when I'll start using that stuff. But uh, yeah, until that day, um, I'm happy just to use stuff that I know will deploy and work and, and uh, make sure the green light is always good uh, every time I uh, merge from, uh, from GitHub. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you you want to stay 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 in your power curve. Yes, and and uh, and that's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah, and like I I know it, it, there's like so many different tools out there, and um, it's interesting to see this sort of evolution uh, where your 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 product is going. Um, so I'm curious, like with the like the Lampstack folks, do you see a lot of folks moving over from like the Drupal's or going for WordPress API to putting a fancy Next app or Astra app on top? Yes, one one way I think about it is every year that goes by, what's going to happen to the percentage of front-end developers who expect to be working in PHP-based tooling and the percentage of developers that expect to be working in, in Node.js-based tooling? I, I, I don't know how fast it's switching, but I know it's switching. Yeah. So timing that right has, <laughs> has, has been a challenge because this wave has been coming for, for a decade. And... Because some teams have gotten cut on the bleeding edge, they they have stepped back. One of uh, a leading agency in the Drupal space did their own website as the very first React to Drupal website, I think in in 2015 or something. And a few years later, they brought it back to monolithic because they they realized that in chopping off Drupal's head, they lost a lot of what they were taking for granted, and they lost a lot of the uh, internal resources they had who who understood fully monolithic systems. So that that's the kind of story that's happened a lot over the past few years. Teams dipping their toes in the water, sometimes getting burned by it, but still they know the promise is there. And if if they can if they can get the green light uh, and not feel like they've they've wasted a day or a week exploring broken tools, then they'll be much more confident taking a, a full leap rather than dipping toes in the water. Yeah, and I think that the thing that I see that's that's um, the shift that's happened maybe in the past couple of years is 
the first wave, at least from from our perspective, and again, where where we have our like corner of the ecosystem, right? So uh, it's people who are already kind of up and running on these mature open source CMSs, not people who were just like born anew into the Jamstack world, and they, that's just where they started. You know, what we saw was uh, a first wave of people who were really chasing technical possibilities. And, you know, it's um, uh, like new frameworks, new ways of working, uh, you know, new capabilities. And it was a, a very developer-led rush to a new set of tools that showed that, like, there's absolutely a there there, right? That's your classic innovator wave. Yeah. But it, to, to Steve's point, like, some people, like, coming back with Band-Aids and saying, like, yeah, but maybe not for me yet. And now what we're seeing is another wave which is driven more by a clearer business case, if you will. Because the truth is you can you can inarguably deliver a higher quality end user site visitor experience with this modern tooling and web properties that have better user experiences and companies that provide better customer experiences, they get better results, they win. And the people who have poorer web experiences will eventually improve or they'll die. Uh, and so you're seeing a lot of uh, folks saying, okay, we have to, we, this is important. We need to get to this because it's what our customers expect. And that, that level of, that, that expectation around quality of experience is always going up. And then I think you're getting a lot more rational conversation of people thinking a little bit longer term, planning ahead and saying, well, what's the best way to go out about doing this? And, and therefore, and also, because some people went ahead and blazed the trail, there's more known pitfalls and and so forth. There's less surprises uh, as it goes along. And I think you know, in our corner of the market, where you know uh, the preponderance of the work of the teams that we serve is is uh, still in the monolithic uh, uh, realm, you know, maybe they're seeing 10, 20% of their projects now starting with the idea of a, of a decoupled front end. We're also starting to see, you know, having it's really interesting having conversations with people that are coming from the front end first world and realizing that open source as an answer on the back end is interesting if it were easy, right? Right now, like there's a, you can get a, that contentful thing up and running real quick and, uh, and that's a really attractive because it gets you up and running. But then, you know, is contentful the right partner for you long-term? Is that the right solution for this project? You know, for all the same reasons that your front end is, is really open source so that you have full control over it and you can chart your own destiny. A lot of people are realizing the same degree of, uh, avoiding vendor lock-in and other things on the back end is also powerful, uh, and so I think we're gonna we're gonna see how uh, that that's something I'm very curious uh, to see about. Like when when we're able to show people, you know, a really well lit path from either direction to using this architecture and ha- being open source on both sides to see what kind of uh, attraction that generates. And I think there's growing philosophical alignment between the back end ecosystem and the front end ecosystem. WordPress has had in its documented philosophy for a number of years, the idea of decisions, not options. Like WordPress as a community prefers to just implement the best practice rather than, well, Drupal in comparison will sometimes expose a million checkboxes and say, good luck picking the the best configuration. WordPress is is better at saying, no, these checkboxes are pre-checked or no checkboxes at all. And that appears to be a shift that's happening in the front-end ecosystem as well. A few years ago, you might have spun up the latest front-end framework and ended up with a huge node modules directory and a giant JSON file that you are now responsible for maintaining in perpetuity. For the more recent front-end frameworks that have come out, they seem to be taking 
inside the framework, more responsibility for more decisions because there's some fatigue, I think, out there among teams that don't want to be responsible for figuring out every single detail of a, a front-end framework. Those two things seem to be coming into sharp alignment where there's there's just a preference for companies like Pantheon or open source frameworks, both on, on the back end, front end side to, to make decisions that work for a broad majority of websites. Cool, yeah. And I'm intrigued and I'm sure the listeners are intrigued. So I'm sure someone's probably listening and they're working with uh, like a Drupal or some other, all these other CMSs that were tried and true. Uh, like what's the getting started path for Pantheon for folks who are listening? Sure, the, the, the getting started path for us right now uh, involves a feature flag. So you, you go to pantheon.io slash decoupled CMS, fill out the form, tell us uh, about what project uh, you might be interested in doing. We add the feature flag to your uh, organizational workspace, and then you can, in the dashboard, spin up. Right now we have Next.js plus Drupal, Next.js plus WordPress, and Gatsby plus WordPress baked into the dashboard, and we're uh, exploring, expanding those sets of recipes. So we, we have preset opinions on, on both sides. There's the start state for the CMS that's pre-configured with things like the GraphQL plugin or, or uh, the appropriate modules in, in Drupal turned on, caching uh, turned on in appropriate ways. And then on the front-end framework side, our engineers are working on a, a suite of NPM packages that, again, preset the appropriate ways of reading that data out of the open source CMS. And I, I think there's, you know, the, the old schools is is not something to be ashamed of. I I, I use the term mature, uh, which like, you know, <laughs> That's better. In a, in a, and again, in a business context, like it, yeah, it, it, it carries, it, there's some things where you, you want it to be mature, honestly, um, like in your stack, thinking about where you're working with like real innovator tooling versus where you want to have really established tooling. Everybody's, everybody's mix may be different, but like, the, you know, it's very few people are like all innovation all the time. Because that that gets pretty wild. Yeah, all these systems still are telling time by counting the number of seconds since 1970. <laughs> so uh, referencing a few decades back doesn't bother me. Amazing, that is so true. Well, uh, I appreciate y'all coming on the the podcast talking about Pantheon and your 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 new ships and uh, the new focus. Uh, so, folks, definitely check it out. Uh, I did want to check out some picks. So these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. Could be music, food, entertainment, tech related. Nothing's off limits. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll go first. And then whoever wants to jump in next, feel free to jump in. Uh, I just had a guest on this uh, this podcast uh, who's the author of Learning TypeScript. It's an O'Reilly book. Really enjoyed that conversation because I have been using JavaScript for a while and have been using TypeScript for a while too, but not really using TypeScript. I, I'm like one of those per, uh, folks who like get to come into inherited code there's already TypeScript in the project, and I just learn on the job, but never really took the time to learn. Okay, what are the all, all what's what is the reason for TypeScript? What are the tools? So I've been learning that pretty quickly uh, as building a new TypeScript app from zero to um, to production at this point. And uh, this book was super helpful. I just read the book cover to cover, which I don't do a ton with O'Reilly books, but I just felt like I needed to have a good understanding of what what the benefit and what the sort of features are in TypeScript that I should be aware of and. It was like a weird situation where TypeScript now in what the 4.9, I think is the latest version. The latest version is actually pretty useful. Um, I say that because it wasn't useful like two versions ago for me. And I had bad practices from my old TypeScript days to 
current. So highly recommend check out the podcast, but also pick up the book, Learning TypeScript as well. I don't know, either of you, do you write JavaScript TypeScript? Is that uh, in your wheelhouse? Uh, TypeScript is not in my my wheelhouse yet. <laughs> at, at the couple days, uh, I, I interviewed someone who had presented on Rescript, which I hadn't even uh, heard of. Yeah. I thought, oh no, I need to keep track of more than one way of of typing my front end code. Uh, but I, like I, I, I see the appeal of of TypeScript, but I, I have not like gotten past Hello World myself with it. Fair enough. Yeah, I've only used it in in a couple in limited context of like some uh, some proof of concept code around uh, edge compute because t- t- if you do if you can get it to TypeScript, then you can p- compile to Wasm, and if you can get to Wasm, then you can get it to the edge. Yeah. But um, I would say only one and a half steps beyond Hello World. Uh, so so maybe that's a good one for us to pick up and uh, and, st- and have on our shelf. Yeah, yeah. It's it improves the language of JavaScript in so many different ways. And my historical background from TypeScript has always been library authoring. So having like the sort of understanding in like the VS Code, Merlin type autocomplete and stuff like that, TypeScript, that was kind of the sort of gimmick to get people to use TypeScript in a lot of projects. And I think it's gone so much further past that, that it's definitely worth checking out. And like things like TRPC, which I'm going to do a talk at QCon next month on TRPC, where you can build APIs um, using types and TypeScript. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful way to sort of approach the problem. It is new, so obviously it is bleeding edge. So <laughs> take that into, into consideration. But if you're into contributing back upstream, definitely the best time to get involved now. Cool. Yeah, and I had one more pick, which is a show I've been watching every night with the wife. Um, we caught up on the first season like a couple weeks ago. Like literally, I think we kind of binged it. And uh, now we're in the second season, which is only murders in the building. I've been hearing folks talk a lot about this. I think if you like true crime and drama podcast, that is the the premise, is that three tenants in a building... I will give away the, the plot, but anyway, they create a podcast while they're trying to discover what happened in the building, uh, which is what? It's called Only Murders in the Building. And there's like a um, sort of like, what's the serial podcast type host that's in there, pay, played by Tina Fey, uh, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. Uh, I did not realize <laughs> how funny they are together, but I also did watch all those those shows like the uh, Three Amigos and stuff like that, or the movies rather. They do a great job, even for their age, which I they're up there. I don't even know how old they are, but worth checking out. Yeah, definitely seventies. Yeah, uh, I've yeah, I, I really enjoyed that show. I, I I was late to season one, so I think we binged season one and then we watched season two as as it came out each week. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised on how much I enjoyed it. So definitely, I highly recommend folks check it out. Steve, do you have picks? Uh, I am soon to be jamming on on Astro. Uh, I have oh, nice. I've been reading the docs for for Astro uh, on my phone during downtime, and I, I respect their opinionated stance. The the way they they lead with the statements like "We are preferencing content heavy sites," and we have the the view that these other frameworks have preferenced web application like experiences and you know while that's not a hard black and white divide between content focused sites and and web applications astro is leaning hard towards content focused sites and that's that's probably the the bulk of of the web sites on on pantheon so that's that's one that i i need to get myself into their their focus on server-side rendering aligns well with with what we're doing at Pantheon and their 
the, the way they seem to be relatively agnostic about which other front-end libraries you might layer on seems to be a, a appealing to me. Yeah, uh, I'm a fan. I did have Ben Holmes come on to not talk about Astro, but Astro, he now works at Astro. And uh, I did have an opportunity to build an Astro site, um, which is no longer an Astro site for reasons, the whole website and web application. It's the paradigm that I, I want to lean into more website stuff, but I was building it as a application. And that's how I learned Astro and what it what, what its use case was. So um, that site is hotopensauce.pizza if anyone wants to check it out. Some of the features we added were very web application heavy, but I will I will be shipping a, a new Astro app soon, so stay tuned. All right, well, I'll, I'll have to check out <laughs> hotopensauce.pizza. Correct, so hot.opensauce.pizza. Nice. It's a discovery tool for finding uh, trending open source projects. So there's there's a whole whole meme and a brand thing going on <laughs> over there, but... Great. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I checked out your 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 just open sauce pizza before when I was like you know just doing my due diligence and like that's a really cool project so now I have to see what's what like the the, the hot open sauce is like yeah we, have we, it. we're serving up another another pizza site pretty soon too as well so also stay tuned sweet yeah so uh, Josh you have any picks for us yeah I got um I've got uh, a couple uh, and I'll, I'll do one one tech and and uh, and one non tech so so the tech one is. Um, a project called the HTTP Archive, not to be confused with like uh, web.archive.org that like screenshots every website over history. Like that's that's cool too. But the HTTP Archive is actually a really interesting project where they're um, they're running a crawler across like close to ten million sites twice a month and pumping all the data into a publicly accessible Google BigQuery project. So and it's like got. Down to like the complete uh, web page test, all like hard data, all the details. So I'm plugging it because while we were getting, you know, this is now going back like maybe a year, year and a half, when we were just starting to get the team together to really go all in on this front end sites project for Pantheon, I was using it to do all this research. Like, okay, how many websites are actually running this stuff? And like, there's there's cool tools out there like built with that'll give you like for a business user like a high level overview of things and a chart, which is nice. But like, if you want to answer a question like, well, how many people are using what version of Next.js and also have this other thing and what's their average uh, time to first paint, right? That's data you can pull out of the uh, the HTTP archive and the fact that they have it going back several years, it's just super awesome. So I've, you know, I guess over the past year and a half, um, I, got, I don't get to write as much code as I used to, but I have... St- like the place where I've been able to stay close to the metal is messing around with data and like being able to get like a real true big data data set in BigQuery and just like thrash around with it was like super fun. I really enjoyed uh, that experience and have found it to be useful in a lot of ways. So that's that's my tech pick. And my non-tech pick is a book that I read uh, this summer called Cloud Cuckoo Land that like sort of blew my mind. It's like a multi-layered story that some of it's happening in the future and some of it's happening in the past and like you know kind of pushes all the buttons from like a what's it like to live in a world where it feels like the apocalypse is always just around the corner and technology is changing everything um and i don't know i haven't read a, a book like that 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 left me feeling like it actually gave me like goosebumps at a, at a couple of points um and so if you like sort of speculative fiction and can hang with like a longer book it's like 700 pages it's it's a it's a real treat so those, those are my picks love it yeah i I'd, uh, i dropped links in the uh, the show notes as well and uh 
yeah, looking forward to. I don't. I don't know if I can commit to that book yet, but when I do have some downtime, it's it's definitely going on my uh, Amazon wish list for sure. Yeah, you're gonna want like to be able to, you know, you, you, it'll te- it'll it'll prevent you from sleeping. Like he'll be just like, okay, one more chapter, and like you, you know, you gotta time that right for your life. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, speaking of time, we're out of time and uh, appreciate y'all coming through and uh, talking about Pantheon. Folks, definitely check it out. Uh, Reach out and, uh, you know, keep spreading the jam and uh, see you next time. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. 